the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we'll be looking at the impact of Black Friday on the Irish retail sector. A Thanksgiving phenomenon imported from the United States. It might be good for consumers, but does it add up for retailers? You'll hear shortly from Conor Pope of the Irish Times and Lorraine Higgins, Deputy Chief Executive of Retail Excellence Ireland. In the second half of the show, we'll be examining the main points of today's UK budget with Dennis Daunton, our London editor, and Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times, who will take us through the implications for Ireland. Before all of that, let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, in recent days, uh, your email inboxes might have been inundated with Black Friday special offers from a raft of Irish retailers. It's a concept that has been imported from the United States, but does it make sense for Irish retailers, or are they simply shooting themselves in the foot in the run-up to Christmas? Here to answer these questions and more are Conor Pope, Consumer Affairs Correspondent of the Irish Times, and Lorraine Higgins, Deputy Chief Executive for Retail Excellence Ireland. Now, Conor Pope, we might start with you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Black Friday. Where did it come from and why is it here? Well, in the United States, it makes a whole lot of sense because traditionally Black Friday was the Friday after Thanksgiving. And in the United States, that people would have the Thursday of Thanksgiving off, they'd have the Friday off, and then they'd have the weekend off. So they had this four-day block. Which is kind of rare in the US. It's very rare in the United States. So it, it draws real parallels with the St. Stephen's Day, December 27th sales that would happen in this part of the world. So it came from the United States, um, and it has a place in the United States because it traditionally marks the start of the Christmas shopping season. Well, what there. is it exactly? Uh, it's a day when the big retailers in America, the high street retailers, start discounting their products. And they'd have these big sales offering 20, 30, 40, 50% off. And it would attract huge volumes of people to the shops in the United States. But of course, it didn't exist here until 2006. And in 2006, Asda in the United Kingdom decided that for a marketing wheeze, they'd have a Black Friday sale in the Asda stores in the UK. And of course, Asda is owned by Walmart and that's what they were doing. Uh, All the British retailers saw that happening and they saw the attention that Asda were getting. And then in 2007, they all said, we fancy a bit of that. And of course, British people went completely bonkers for this Mm. Black Friday. A lot of people uh, might be scratching their heads thinking, isn't Asda a grocery chain rather Ah, than... But but they're more than that. they, they, They sell clothes, they sell... Uh, uh, homewares they sell mm. an awful lot of different things um, and then in 2007 it was just insane and people were being trampled as they uh, fought with each other to get the cheap tellies and it was just this insanity that gripped the United Kingdom and then then the next year we started to cop on board and it has grown and it has grown and it has grown and it has grown to an extent that the Black Friday sale begins six or seven days before Black Friday and continues three or four days after Black Friday. And I'd say it must be terribly dispiriting for a lot of Irish retailers. Now, not all retailers, but a lot of Irish retailers because they're heading into the busiest um, and most profitable time of the year, the time when they need to sell as much stock as they possibly can. And as a result of this entirely artificial construct that we've imported from the United States, um, they have to start discounting their products. And there's very little getting away from it, because if you look at all of the big retailers in Ireland now, from Brown Thomas to Arnott's, from Argos, Boots, Boots Little, uh, Little even, Harvey Ar- Norman. Harvey Norman. Well, I mean, when is Harvey Norman not on sale? Let's be honest. But almost every single retailer Uh, is now part of the Black Friday thing. Uh, And whilst it can be good news for consumers, it isn't always good news for consumers. Mm. And it's certainly not good news for, for a lot of retailers. 
I'm sensing you're not a fan. Well, do you know what? I mean, I was going through. I mean, I was going through some of the discounts and some of the deals that are on offer. And genuinely, go on, take us through a few. Of them. Well, I mean, like for instance, if you go to like All Saints, the hip uh, clothes shop, they're offering thirty percent off all their stock. Argos has been running Black Friday deals for the last uh, week and a half, and it's selling things like a PlayStation Two uh, for three hundred forty nine euros. That's down from five hundred nineteen euros. So if you're in the market for a PlayStation, that that's really good value. Arnott's isn't having a Black Friday sale, but it's having a Christmas mega event. Same deal, they're offering 20% off a lot of their stock but they have some significant bargains so if you want a five set pots and pans set from Stellar. Yeah. And who doesn't? Yeah, it's 189.95 down from 449.95 one that really took my fancy today from Arnott's in large because it's freezing cold and raining outside is this snuggle down goose feather and and down duvets. Now they're, they are selling at the moment for um, between 95 and 160 euros Last week they were selling for between 190 and 320 euros. So you're looking at massive savings for people. But the key thing about sales, and it's the same with every sale, it doesn't matter if it's Black Friday, St. Stephen's Day, Easter, summer, whenever, it's only good value if you need the product. And an awful lot of the time what's happening is uh, retailers are kind of almost compelling people to buy these products that they don't need, don't want and probably can't afford. Yeah, Lorraine Higgins, contextualise, if you can, for us, how big Black Friday is for the Irish retail sector. It's certainly a growing phenomenon. It's something, as Connor pointed out, started in 2006, 2007 and cottoned on here um, in a big way from UK-based retailers who will be in this country. You're um, new to this job now, relatively new uh, to this job. Yeah. I mean, would you have been a Black Friday shopper? before you joined Retail Excellence? I would have bought, yeah, items that I thought that were of interest to me or certainly would have made a nice Christmas presents at the time for people. Um, The reality is retail has changed a lot. It's been struggling a little bit last year. Uh, In particular, post the Brexit vote, we had two quarters of decline in in 2016 and then the first quarter of 2017 were in decline. And more worryingly so, uh, in relation to certain sectors like children's wear, footwear, the jewellery sector was down and they're all... Um, sectors that would be, I suppose, associated with with growth at that time of year because people are buying jewellery for their girlfriends and boyfriends. You know, the same thing, everybody looks for new shoes for going out and things like that. So I suppose this is kind of a response that we see more retailers getting in on the act uh, and trying to encourage footfall into their stores, you know, and putting mm. on putting on bargains. Deals but are they shooting themselves in the foot in the sense that they're so close to Christmas? Christmas is such a big part of their overall business and a big part of their overall profits potentially are they shooting themselves in the foot by having this uh, mega sale, call it what you will, you know, right on the doorstep of the festive season? I don't think so. I think they're just re- um, reacting to the way that the market has behaved in, in, in previous years. And also they're trying to keep up to speed with what's happening online and the fact that there's a huge leak of spend leaving the country uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Well, 850,000 is spent every hour online by Irish consumers and two thirds of that is fulfilled by businesses operating outside Ireland. So while... The online piece is really, really important and it represents a loss of 1.2 billion to the Exchequer on an annual basis. You know, there is an imperative to try and bring people back into stores, you know, to show them what's on offer. And with the nature of retail, the way a lot of top retailers are innovating, they're trying to bring more experience to the consumer and customer uh, and they're embracing technology and digital as well for that purpose. So I suppose this weekend represents an opportunity to showcase, you know, where retail is going, but, but also giving American, value. It's an American tradition, isn't it? I mean, is it not a bit depressing that Irish retailers have to resort to American traditions to innovate. 
Well, as a country, we've been ripping off uh, British legislation for, for decades now at this stage. So, look, I mean, you look to best practice within the industry uh, and this was something that obviously cottoned on and it was something that was of interest to a lot of retailers. Mm. So, Do you know, they're not much... forcing people to buy on Black Friday. It's a choice. And if they have good offers out there on particular products, I think it represents good value for, for people to buy, as Connor just pointed out from various retailers. Do and we know how much is spent on Black Friday? I actually don't have, I don't have a Connor? figure on that, but hopefully no, but next that, week. See, the problem is it's being straight out. So as I say, Black Friday was one day, now six or seven days. And I think it's also worth pointing out that that a lot of the big retailers are, they're not necessarily misleading people, but they're certainly creating impressions they may not be entirely accurate with their Black Friday sales. And which, so? Give us an example. Which the hugely important and powerful and, and impressive consumer group in the United Kingdom carries out little price surveys of the, of the products that are, are being touted by businesses in the UK as part of their Black Friday deals and they found that a significant percentage around 50% of all the products that were selling in some retailers as part of their super duper Black Friday deals could actually have been bought for cheaper in the days before and in the days after Black Friday so just because a product has a huge big Black Friday tag attached to it and a, and a, and a, and a, a so-called discount, consumers do need to be more canny and they do need to be more clued in and they do need to be aware of the fact that retailers are not in the game for the benefit of consumers. Retailers are in the game for the benefit of themselves. But surely it's simpler than ever now for retailers to do their research. I mean, given the, the vast amount of information that's available uh, online. Oh, it's usually, it's very simple for consumers to do their research, but a lot of the time people just don't do it. And that's in, that's the nature of inertia and consumer apathy that we see. And, and, and another issue that's worth pointing out here is you're talking about Irish retailers and oh, Irish retailers are innovating and Irish retailers are driving this. Unfortunately, Rain, that's not actually the case because I don't know where what, what planet you're on, but Boots, uh, Harvey Norman, Argos, these Little. aren't Irish retailers. And yeah, it is not Irish retailers <coughs> who are driving this phenomenon. It is huge say, multinational organisations that are coming into this country, hoovering up an awful lot of the profits, or an awful lot of the cash, and exporting it out of this country. And that's a reality. But there are many, and if you look, Connor, there if are you many look, reta- Irish retailers. If you look at all of the big retailers that are really pushing the Black Friday phenomena, they're not the Irish retailers. The Irish retailers have had very little oppor- choice but to come on their coattails. But as I say, if you look at the likes of as Amazon are pushing it, Argos, Boots, um, Debenhams, all of these places, yeah. okay. Harvey Norman, Okay, JD let's give Sports. Lorraine a, a chance to come back. I think I think that's unfair to say because a lot of Irish retailers Some are involved. Irish retailers in this. are involved because they and have I no choice but I to become involved. Because if they didn't become involved, they would be absolutely slaughtered in the marketplace, and that's the reality. But I know from talking to a number of people in in this game, they are more than happy to get involved in this because it's driving footfall, as I people? said, into the story. Like for instance, Carrick Dunn are there; they're at the forefront of it, and, and they're very happy to embrace it. And we're happy to come on this podcast. I think Brown today Thomas to would like to see themselves Brown as an Thomas. Irish retailer, yeah, even though they're owned by Galen West. As Canadian, as well, and, and you can go on and on, like DID Electrical, all of those are involved. No, but as in I said, they're, you know, they're actually having a me- Arnest, our, our delivery is not having a Black Friday sale, they're having a discount, a discount 20% off because they have to, because they have to respond to the marketplace. That well, doesn't necessarily mean that they're changed. happy to do it. Cho- shopping has changed, a lot of people plan post um, Halloween. For their, for their Christmas expenditure and I think most people would factor that into household budgets By the way, and, and this represents an opportunity for them to purchase something at, at How many of your price. members are, are Irish companies and how many are multinationals? The majority of them would be. So how many members have you got um, I don't have the exact figure but it would definitely be I'd say I'd say three quarters are Irish. 
are Irish yeah. and the rest are multinational Irish units of multinationals and, and, that, and that's the important matter that we have to be mindful of as well it's the fact that you know these stores have a presence in this country irrespective of whether they're Irish or, or UK chains and they're employing Irish people mm. Do you know what would be better though rather than having these this Black Friday st- sale period which is kind of gimmicky I think a lot of people would accept that uh, wouldn't it be better to have a more consistent lower price across the Irish retail sector. So instead of having these so-called bargains for a period of a week or 10 days in the run-up to Christmas, that what we saw was retailers operating in the Republic of Ireland offering comparable prices to retailers operating in the UK. Okay, and that's a fancyful we, notion, Connor, well, no, to be frank. Why not? Why because not? we're looking what? at fat differential, we're looking at economies of as, scale as you well in know, UK as a retailers. Lorraine, you will know that there were studies done on this a long time ago and they proved that the price differential between the Republic of Ireland and the UK when you account, when you take into account VAT differentials higher overheads hi, higher cost of utilities higher transport co- transport costs when you take into account all of that stuff the price differentials should be around 8 or 9% that's the reality and that's the but fact that's a so why are we looking no well you, you have say, to look if you're talking about cross border pr- shopping okay, okay. okay. Moment, Lorraine, uh, come in on this comment. yeah if you look at cross border shopping uh, there was in quarter three of this year the uh, Department of Finance released figures saying that 300 million in excise duties they were down and why is that? It's as a consequence of cross-border shopping. Okay and no, I, a lot of that might I be accept. on alcohol and groceries. Yeah but the, that's a driving force for people to go over the border and to shop. We have to be mindful of that and when they're there they purchase other goods. So if you factor everything into the equation when you're driving up north transport costs toll costs your bank charges that apply you know, when we see simple comparisons that are done in some media outlets um, and it just compares its X amount of money in the north, its Y amount of money in the south. And oh, my God, there's a yeah, massive difference. Yeah, but Connor does have a point, doesn't he? He does, he does equation, have a point. You can you go know. into Marks and Spencer and you can see a product that might be 25 quid in the UK and it could be 35, 40 quid uh, in the Republic of Ireland. And a lot of people really recoil at those kind of differences. Uh, and listen, I, as I said to you, like there are differences between VAT and we have to take that into consideration. There's a wage differential between the countries. There's a there's, that's, the, that's what the there's a rates differential, you know, and there are other costs like insurance, which has gone through the roof here for retailers. Eight percent, ten percent. Why are we looking at price differentials of thirty percent when the official mm. figures show that they should be around ten percent? Well, look, these these are all matters for the individual retailer, and at the end of the day, they might have been buying at a point in time when something like linen, for instance, was more costly. But at the same time, we have to, and I'm just giving that as an example, or the the raw materials. I can't say, but look, when when retailers are purchasing goods yeah. uh, and they do so, or they're buying from wholesalers. Okay, let's just try and come back to Black Friday, maybe, and uh, just talk about the, the retail sector generally. How how are things? How has the sector performed so far this year, and what impact is Brexit having? Um, it had quite a big impact towards the end of last year and indeed the first quarter of this year. And there was a degree of volatility for the second quarter of this year, but it has recovered in quarter three um, to the extent that there's been a 2% growth across all sectors. And some are performing quite strongly, like agri-retail, garden centres um, and white goods as well. So, you know, it's good to see that happen. And I suppose it's indicative of what's happening uh, in terms of people investing in their properties. And your members positive about the Christmas season? Are they expecting an uplift in sales? I think I think everybody's been cautious, um, especially based on what happened last year and, and the difficulties that they had in, in various sectors. I think jewellery is being affected in, in a big way um, from people buying in tax-free havens and that's having a, a massive impact on our members. And it's struggling, you know, and, and I suppose there's, there's other arguments around that um, with regard to goods being declared over €180, Euro, but that's a matter for the Department of uh, Finance and the revenue to, to look at. 
Uh, Connor, what are you hearing? What's the beat in the street in terms of Christmas? I think sales? It'll, I think it'll be happy Christmas for retailers, and I hope it is because I think they deserve a bit of a break. And is Black Friday here to stay? Probably. Lorraine, Black Friday here to stay? I believe so. I, I think what we're looking at is a longer shopping period in the run into Christmas, but um, it's a, it's obviously important for everybody, for consumers to get deals and obviously retailers to sell their wares. Um, but the one thing, word of caution I would have for consumers is that they're careful about their spend as well uh, and they don't lo- lose the run of things in, uh, over this weekend. Keep a bit for Christmas. Absolutely. All right, we'll leave it there. Lorraine Higgins and Connor Pope, thank you for joining us. We'll take a short break now. When we return, I'll be speaking to Dennis Staunton and Cliff Taylor about the UK budget. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, earlier today, UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, Philip Hammond, delivered his second budget of this year. Among other things, he lowered the UK's forecast growth rate for this year to a skinny 1.5% and he allocated an additional €3 billion Euro for Brexit preparations. And there's also talk of a tax on digital transactions, more of that anon. Now, to discuss this and its possible implications for Ireland, uh, we have in studio Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and by phone, Dennis Staunton, our London editor. Now, Dennis, thank you for joining us. You were listening to Philip Hammond's uh, speech today. Maybe take us through some of the key points uh, that he made. Well, what he wanted to be the big headline of the budget was this uh, sort of rabbit he pulled out of the hat, where basically he abolished stamp duty for first-time buyers buying uh, a property up to the value of £300,000, which is actually, you know, generally it's within what the average is in most places outside of London. And then if you're in a bit more expensive place, then you get, uh, you know, there's no stamp duty up to the first 300000 up to a maximum of 500000 And that was a part of a package of, uh, of, of measures which included uh, some investment, some, uh, you know, money for, for loans, some planning changes, all designed really to ease the housing crisis in Britain, which is similar enough to the housing crisis that we have at home. But really what uh, the big news out of this budget was, was a really dramatic downgrading of the uh, growth forecasts over the next five years. And essentially what uh, you know, the, what they've said, the, and this is from the Independent Office for Budget Responsibility, is that growth uh, this year uh, instead of growing by uh, 2%, the economy will grow by 1.5%. And that it's going to grow at around that, late, uh, that rate, a little lower or a little higher for the next five years. And that at no point in the next five years is growth going to hit 2% uh, a year. Now, 2% was regarded until now as being kind of the sustainable growth level for Britain. And that's now effectively been downgraded for the next five years to 1.5%. And that's all Brexit-related, uh, Dennis, is it? Well, it's partly Brexit-related. Really what it is uh, is that the, uh, the Office of Budget Responsibility, what they said was, we've been forecasting an increase in uh, productivity for Britain for the last few years, and it's never happened. Now, they say the reason it hasn't happened is because the government hasn't done the various things it's supposed to do. Now, the reason that you ha- haven't had productivity growth is really to do with the lack of uh, business investment. And there are two factors in that. One is the overhang from the financial crisis in 2008, so it never quite recovered from that. That. 
But also what you've seen uh, in the last uh, you know, six months or so is a really dramatic fall off in foreign investment in Britain. And foreign investment is often the kind of investment that creates most productivity. And so basically what's happening is that uh, you know, businesses, because they're uncertain about the future, and this is where Brexit comes in, that they're not investing in uh, the kind of technology that would make uh, their businesses and their workers more productive. Right, okay. Uh, we'll come back to that in, in a moment. Maybe just have a look at some of the Northern Ireland-specific measures, because he did make a few mentions of the North in his budget speech. Yes, so what he, he's promised uh, an increase uh, in the budget for the Northern Ireland executive of £660 million. And they're also going to uh, take certain sort of measures uh, designed to help the tourism industry. So air passenger duty for short-haul passengers is going to be frozen. And uh, they're going to have a look at the idea of you know what actually air passenger duty and VAT, what impact that's having on tourism. And then they're also going to increase the national living wage slightly in Northern Ireland. And then the other thing they're going to do is that they're going to start negotiations for a Belfast city deal. What this is, it's a bespoke package, really, of funding and decision-making powers that is negotiated between the government in London and local authorities. And they've done them in a number of cities around the UK. And they've been found to basically to boost uh, business and to, and to boost the, the local economy. So that's quite big news, uh, you know, if it, if it works out well for Belfast. Right, OK. And he also mentioned corporation tax. He said he would look at corporation tax once a restored executive was up and running and they, they could demonstrate that the finances of the North were on a sustainable footing. Yes, and that actually has been, you know, for some time the position that, uh, you know, they were going to allow the uh, executive in Northern Ireland to, uh, uh, to, you know, or at least consider the idea that they would have a variable level of uh, corporation tax. Uh, but of course, you don't have an executive in Northern Ireland, and we don't know when it's going to be restored. And until there is one, that's not going to happen. And Dennis, I don't know if you can answer this question, but that 660 million that you mentioned, is that part of the 1 billion that the DUP negotiated with Theresa May post the election? Or is that separate? Have they had the 1 billion? No, that seems to be part of the block grant. Uh, that uh, so there's going to be this, uh, you know, basically what uh, the way in which Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland get money from, um, you know, from um, uh, from London is this thing sort of called the block grant. And so this is a kind of an increase in the amount of money that they're getting. And and the other two nations, Scotland and Wales, also got increases, rather larger increases than Northern Ireland did. So I think this is part of that as opposed to being part of the the one billion, which was going to be specific things to do with health spending and and very specific kinds of funding. Right, okay. Cliff Taylor, you know a thing or two about economic uh, growth and uh, the 1.5 percent figure or thereabouts over the next five years sounds quite depressing really. Yeah, it's pretty poor. Uh, As Dennis said, the expectation had been that growth was going to be 2% this year. Uh, That's been cut pretty heavily to 1.5%. Looking at 1.4% next year and 1.3% for the years after, I think it is worth noting that the Office for Budget Responsibility, the grandly titled body that uh, does the independent forecasts and, and does appear to operate completely independently in fairness to it, made the point that they'd asked the British government for more details of how Brexit might operate and had been referred to some speeches that Theresa May made. In other words, they weren't given any more details. So I think implicit in that is a warning that if the Brexit Brexit talks go wrong, 
you know, goodness knows what's going to happen. Yeah. So I think... But let's put this into context. I mean, what kind of growth are we seeing in the Eurozone? We know in Ireland, for example, it's 4% plus. What kind of growth yeah, are we it, seeing in the Eurozone, it, in America? Yeah, it, it will put... Uh, I think what we're looking at elsewhere in the world is is, is relatively strong growth. Uh, so America has been growing uh, 2-3%. It's up, it's up over 3% now. Uh, the Euro- Eurozone growth has been picking up uh, and is now appears to be on a strong upward trend. So really what we're seeing is... While the rest of the world is improving, Britain seems to be going backwards. Uh, and, you know, this may be a narrative, surely will be a narrative that will play into the politics of the whole Brexit yeah. debate. Over slowest growing of the G7, I think. Sh- slowest growing of the major economies. It is, when you look at, at growth of well under 2%, it is it is pretty poor. And I think also noticeable, notable, should I say, that the Chancellor abandoned his goal of balancing the budget. He, it wasn't mentioned in the budget speech, but previously a goal had been to balance the budget. Now we're looking at borrowing going out. Yeah. Uh, e- even if the debt burden is going to fall as a percentage of GDP, the the British government is going to keep borrowing to, uh, to 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 pay its way each year, so so a notable disimprovement in the economic outlook, I think. And some mention of a digital tax. Yeah, this is one of the things that will be read closely here. There's going to be consultation on the imposition of a new digital tax. So I suppose to step back a bit, there's been a lot of talk about at EU level and indeed relating to Ireland about a little tax the big companies like Apple and Google pay on their operations in Europe. And the EU Commission has that are based pro- in Ireland, essentially based in Ireland and, and based elsewhere as well. So it's a general problem. Uh, and the EU Commission has said, look, one of the ways to, to to address this is to levy a tax on sales in European markets. And Philip Hammond said, hey, look, we support that idea in general, but in the short term, we're going to look at imposing a special tax on sales made in the UK market by these companies, or in profits made rather relating to royalties and specifically in cases where the money is moved out into into what is called lower tax jurisdictions. Now, there's a lot of de- detail to be filled in about exactly how this is going to work. So what's but, it going to mean for the companies that are based here? Maybe I, the, the likes of Apple or Google? I think it's going to mean, it, I think they, well, we don't know yet because we haven't seen the detail, but these are companies that sell from Ireland into UK markets and into the European markets. So if Philip Hammond is going to try and get a bit of that pie, it's going to mean them paying a bit more tax. Right. Will that affect how they view Ireland as an investment location? Well, I, I think the UK move on its own may not do so, but this is part of a trend. Uh, the European Union is saying it's looking at these measures as well. The OECD is looking at it. So there's no doubt that overall this whole trend carries dangers for our corporation tax revenues, number one, and number two for our attractiveness in terms of it the tax package that we've traditionally used to attract these companies. Dennis, what's been the reaction to the budget, specifically Labour? And I'm just wondering whether this eases the pressure uh, in any manner on both Theresa May and indeed Philip Hammond. Well, the the reaction from Labour uh, was uh, was very harsh. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn gave a very passionate speech, basically saying that uh, uh, that the, the government was heartless, that it had done nothing to address the problems of people who are not really managing at all, and uh, you know, quoted numbers of people who are living in poverty. There's a particular problem here with the new uh, social welfare payment system, uh, which is uh, a single payment that they're wrapping everything into, and there have been delays in this and just the way in which it's minister that have left people really very poorly off and suddenly waiting for a number of weeks to get paid. And they're taking some measures, the government, uh, to, to try to ameliorate this, but not enough. So Labour was very, very harsh on it and said just it didn't do nearly enough. As the afternoon has gone on, also people have been started to pick bits of it apart. And so, for example, uh, in some accompanying documentation, the Office of Budget Responsibility said that this big headline-grabbing 
you know, abolition of stamp duty, which was supposed to help the first-time buyers, that actually it's probably going to have the effect of putting up prices, house prices, which is kind of the opposite of what you want to do, and that it would probably end up benefiting people who already own a house. So, so that's uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, one of the big elements that's been uh, taken apart. Now he promised that he's going to spend three billion extra on preparing for Brexit. And that was a stop to the Brexiteers who really want to be sure the government is preparing for the idea of crashing out of the EU without a deal. But the Brexiteers are unhappy because they feel that what they wanted him to do was to come in and cheer everybody up and say that uh, this is going to be uh, you know, Brexit is going to be great for Britain, and we can look forward to uh, you know to, to great sunlit uplands. And of course, he's not that sort of person, and also he is constrained in what he has to do, and so he has been more cautious than they would like. Yeah, Cliff, you've been looking at the housing measures. Any lessons for Ireland? Because as Dennis mentioned, some of the problems that are happening in the British housing market are are evident here too. So, yeah. anything in the measures that are being proposed in the budget in the UK that maybe we could replicate here? Well, I think there's three. There's three specific points uh, that he did which all have uh, reference here if you like the first as Dennis said is the, is the, is the cut in stamp duty and it's similar to the debate on the help to buy scheme here the conclusion is that this, this may only add to house prices so I suppose as in the Irish context in, in a situation where demand of housing is constrained and our supply rather is constrained and you put up the demand you're going to lead to higher prices uh, the second which I think will be closely watched here is his plan to spend a lot more money on uh, delivering service land on some public sector house building on targeting particular they really par- want to ramp it up don't uh, they? they do on partic- targeting particular parts of the country notably a, a, a corridor between Oxford and Cambridge for, for, for massive house building through the provision of infrastructure services and all that I, I think it, that will be studied closely here and watched closely here in terms of how it's delivered and how quickly it can deliver it as as with here, uh, the chancellor warned that look, this is going to take a period of years. This this is going to take uh, this is going to take some time. Yeah, uh, Dennis. Maybe finally, let's just talk a little bit about Brexit. Uh, you mentioned the extra three billion for preparations, but just in terms of the narrative around Brexit and how it's going to impact the UK economy going forward. I mean, obviously the the growth rates uh, pretty anemic, as you've outlined. Um, and as you say, a lot of foreign direct investors just holding back, waiting to see what the final shape of a deal between the EU and Britain might look like. So just wondering whether opinion, public opinion in particular in the UK, might change as a result of some of what Philip Hammond said today. Well, it hasn't changed uh, since the referendum, really, by any significant margin. And most of those people who voted to leave the European Union want to leave the European Union. And many of them want to just get on with it. And they don't particularly like uh, the spectacle of the negotiations. I think what the hope here in uh, the government is, is that actually the EU will agree to move on to the next stage of talks. And that, that what that's going to do is that in return for this, whatever amount of money that Britain is going to offer in the next couple of weeks, that in return for that, you're going to get a transition arrangement and that will basically be a standstill. So everything will remain more or less the same. And that will give businesses some uh, certainty, at least for a couple of years. What they haven't done uh, internally is that the cabinet has still not had a conversation at all about what they really want in the end. Do they want to be more like Norway or more like Canada or what do they want in between? And until they do that and until it becomes uh, clear really what is a reasonable expectation 
that they can get from uh, from the European Union, then business really will continue to be anxious. But it will be important uh, to get an early agreement of this transitional arrangement because that at least, I think, will calm some nerves over here economically. And does this budget, does it help Theresa May in terms of her remaining as Prime Minister because our position has been quite weak since the election, obviously? Does it perhaps hasten the day uh, when we might have another general election? Well, I think, uh, you know, generally speaking, Philip Hammond's budgets have turned out to be terrible, uh, but you only notice them a few hours or a day later because there's some little ticking time bomb in there which explodes suddenly the following morning or later that evening. And so, uh, so we have to wait and see if one of those things happens. It looks like it's a pretty safety first budget and nobody has spotted any of these uh, problems so far. So if it turns out that uh, the budget goes OK and she then uh, doesn't isn't under pressure to fire him, for example, then she's probably OK for a bit. The reason that she's there is not really because any of the MPs think she's a great prime minister. It's because they actually can't think of anybody else who could do it. And there's, you know, that, uh, there's something wrong, basically, with all of the possible contenders. And they're also worried that in the process of an election that they would tear themselves apart and then there would be a, a general election and then that would be won by Jeremy Corbyn. And it's very, very difficult to overstate what Conservatives feel about the prospect of Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street. I used to say that it was similar to what a lot of us felt about the idea of Marine Le Pen becoming president of France. But it's also what many people in Dublin feel about the idea or would have felt about the idea of Jerry, Jerry Adams becoming Taoiseach. For a certain kind of person, no matter what the, uh, you know, no matter what the policies were, it's just that the, for them, something fundamental would change. And many Conservatives are prepared to put up with an awful lot to avoid Jeremy Corbyn getting into power. Right, OK. Well, we'll see how it pans out in the coming days and week. Dennis Saunton in London and Cliff Taylor in Dublin. Thank for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Conor Pope, Lorraine Higgins, Cliff Taylor and Dennis Staunton. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as the sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.